Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you will guide my words, that they will bring glory to you first and foremost, and that it will bring blessing to us as we look into your word tonight. I pray for everyone that is here tonight that they will be blessed as they listen to your word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have four points that I, I want to make tonight. I was thinking of speaking on either of two things, and I settled on one. The first one was um, prayer and specifically intercession. And um, the second one was on the word of God, what Jesus said about the word of God. So I decided to settle on the second one for tonight, and I um, hope to pray on, you know, to speak on intercession sometimes in the future. So I have four points that I, I want to make. I suspected that the audience would be mostly believers tonight, and so the message is relevant to everyone. But I'm sure it will be a blessing more to believers. So point number one, what did Jesus say about his words and the word of God? You remember in when he was starting his ministry, he was baptized by John. And we understand from scripture that afterwards he was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And um, while he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, he did not eat. No food, no water, nothing. So he was hungry And Satan came to him and asked him, you are hungry. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus said something about the word of God. He said this, I'm sure you know this very well. Man shall not live by bread alone. So he told the devil that man, man will be man, woman, children, all human beings. They shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So, the first point to make tonight is that God's word is essential to life. In fact, you will agree with me that the world will not exist without the word of God. That's the way Genesis begins. God spoke. So God's word is essential to life. And ignoring God's word means 
starvation. An abundant life comes when we keep the word of God. A life without the word is a life of starvation. So God's word is essential to life. A few translations. Next Bible says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So the word of God is essential. So why, and you know, we see that this uh, message comes actually from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So I, I didn't know that this uh, technology will be acting up tonight. But I decided, you know what, tonight I'm not going to do PowerPoint. I'm just going to read. And that was decided a week or so ago. I didn't know that technology would be acting up. So, so if you're expecting PowerPoint in some fashion, it doesn't exist tonight. Very sorry. So, but you have your Bible, whether on the phone or wherever, just open it. Deuteronomy chapter 8. <clears throat> the children of Israel were about to enter the promised land. And um, this was instruction that was given to them. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. It says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe. That you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart whether you will keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know. Why? That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Then he goes on to add things like your garment did not wear out, your foot did not swell. And um, tells them to keep God's commandment. So God's word is essential to life. And um, we need to keep that in mind. That means if it's essential to life, we should feed on the word. When we don't feed on the word, we are starving. So, every person needs the word of God. Every person needs the word of God to live. Um, let's read a few passages but I realize that uh, I need to open 
my Bible and my eyes, unlike those in the wilderness, unlike Moses, has begun to dim. So I need to put on bottles <laughs> or glasses. Is that what it's called? Yes. All right. Let's read John chapter 5, verse 24, together. In John chapter 5, verse 24, Jesus made this profound statement. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. So God's word gives life just as bread gives physical life. And it has the potency, if you like, to give eternal life. I believe I shared this thought uh, not long ago in John chapter 8, verse 51. We read together when Jesus said, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. So, God's word is essential to life. That's the first point. So, feed on it, study it, meditate on it. Uh, say it out in your circumstance. Proclaim it. Make it known. Talk the word of God to yourself. It's a good thing. And declare it to others. Because it gives life and it brings life. In John 6, 63, we read, It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And Jesus says, the word that I speak to you, they are what? Spirit and life. Okay. The second point, I have four points to make, and it's going to be brief. Now, how is your house? I'm sure if I ask people about their house or their homes, they will probably tell me where it's located, 124 Ashgrove. I remember uh, Margaret, we were coming to her home a while back, a few years back, this, uh, the house that we live in, and uh, we had just moved in. And uh, I think Simi was trying to say, okay, this house has these rooms, that rooms, and that room. Margaret said, no, I didn't come to visit the house. I came to see you. But you know, typically, if you are taking somebody around your house, you will probably talk about the deck. You will talk about the sofa, if that's what it is, or they will notice that. You will talk about so many other things that, you know, you find attractive or nice about the house. I am sure 
that it's very rare that you go to somebody's house and in trying to describe his house, he talks about the foundation. Unless there's something wrong with the foundation. <laughs> he wouldn't talk about, he would talk about every other thing outside of the foundation. But Dr. Hansen is here and he can tell you that the most important part of the house is the foundation. If you want to build a very tall house, you find out that sometimes they dig and dig and dig and dig very deep so that they can strengthen the foundation because that's the only way the house can stand. Jesus says something about foundation. And um, I'd like us to look at it. What he says is this. In, in it, I just say what he says and then we'll read it together. A wise person obeys God's word. A foolish person does not. Irrespective of whether the person is a Christian or non-Christian. So that's what he says. A wise person obeys God's word a foolish person does not. And um, let's read Matthew chapter 7. I read from the NIV. Therefore, that's the way Matthew chapter 7 starts. And whenever you see the word therefore, therefore means there was something before now that is concluding on. And the thing that Jesus is on concluding on is it's a, the Sermon on the Mount, which starts from Matthew chapter 5 all the way to Matthew chapter 6. And I believe last Sunday, that was the message from the preacher. The Sermon on the Mount. Remember? John Wells. That's what he spoke on. And so Jesus, a lot of things were said. But Jesus says, therefore, whoever or everyone, whether they're believers or non-believers, who hears these words of mine and put them into practice, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the stream rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall, because it had, it had its foundation on the rock. But, but, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. So, 
So if we are going to build on solid foundation, we must act on the word of God. I'm afraid I'm getting old and sometimes taking God's word for granted. Sometimes I'm so familiar with the word that I just don't practice it. I know it. I can recite it. I can refer you to where it is. I can quote it. I can say it. But I'm not doing it. And so sometimes I play the fool by knowing the word of God and not doing something about it. Everyone who hears this word. So if we are going to build solid foundation, we must actually do what Jesus says. Hearing the word of God is not enough. We are to obey the word of God. You know, it's possible to know the word of God like the back of my hand, but if I don't do something about it, it really doesn't matter. And that's why, I mean, you've heard people with PhD in uh, theology, right? I'm sure they can quote some of the, these things. They probably uh, write papers, publish articles, discuss it, you know, go to conferences, give expositions on the word of God, and don't do anything about it. And the Pharisees were experts. They knew the word of God. But they did nothing with it. So we must act on the word of God for it to be effective. So obedience is key. Because God's word is the foundation that will keep us from the storm of life. So many deceptions, so many lies. So we need to know the word of God and act on it. I think for every storm, there is a word from the Lord. And knowing it and acting on it is a good thing. A good illustration, I think. So imagine, if you will, that you are working for a good company whose president decides to go on a trip. Right? And while he's gone, he gives instruction on what needs to be done. And we organize board meetings, we analyze the instructions, we put all the details in terms of the instructions, and then just um, make notes, study it, and do all of that. And then the man comes back and says, what did you do with my word? And we say, well, we studied it, we analyzed it, we know it. He says, what did you do? He said, yeah, we studied it. We had, in fact, we had conferences and workshops. And we studied it. If, uh, we did all of that. But he gave instructions that we need to act on. I think what is important is that we act on the word of God. So by all means, study, read, meditate. But more than that, let's practice the word. So I'm not saying that we need to be ignorant of the word of God. But we need to leave out the word. Let the word of God take hold of us and let's leave out the word. All right.
That's point number two. So the first one is that God's word is essential to life. And the second word is that it is great wisdom to obey God's word. And let's not play the fool because any one of us and every one of us can act as a fool by knowing the word of God and doing nothing with it. Point number three. Oh, I'm beginning to sound like Warren. <laughs> Time is going. Point number three. There are enemies to the word of God, and we need to be aware. That hinders the word of God from taking root. I think the last slide that I saw this morning showed a sower sowing the seed. Let's read Matthew chapter, I believe it's Matthew chapter 13. I'm reading from the New English Translation. I have a few translations, but I'm just picking that one. On that day after Jesus went out of the house, he sat by the lake and such a large crowd gathered around him that he got into a boat to sit while the whole crowd stood on the shore. He told them many things in parables, saying, Listen, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. They sprang up quickly, because the soil was not deep. But when the sun came up, they were scorched, and because they did not have sufficient root, they withered. Other seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up and uh, among the thorns, and they grew up and choked them. But other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred times as much, some sixty and some 30. The one who has ears had better listen. And then when we jump to verse 18, so listen to the parable of the sower. When anyone hears about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed sown on rocky ground is the person who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. But he has no root in himself and does not endure. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, immediately he falls away. The seed sown among thorns is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares and the seductiveness of wealth choke the word 
so it produces nothing. But as for the seed sown on good soil, this is the person who hears the word and understands. He bears fruit, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So, it's interesting, and a side point that I just want to make before I point out the enemies. A preacher once said, you should expect only one quarter of the people to pick on, up on what is preached and practice. The other three quarters will probably not pick up on anything. But I know in this crowd tonight, all of us are picking up on everything. Because the soil, the heart, the, the nature of the soil determines what the outcome is. Now remember, the sower is sowing seeds on soils. All the soils are getting seed. That's the way it is when we preach. The, everybody hears the word of God. But they are enemies to the word of God. So there are those who hear the word of God. So oh, that was a wonderful sermon. I wish you just keep going like that. And then, you know, and that's it. It just ends with, it was a wonderful sermon, and then that's the end of the sermon. And sometimes I'm like that. That's why I don't remember what the preacher preached the previous Sunday, because it was a wonderful sermon that excited me, and I did nothing about it the rest of the week. Right? And then there are those, while the message is going on, they're thinking, hmm, I need to close the deal. Um, I need, you know, the worldly case. You know, it's like, when is he going to finish? And so the word gets choked. And uh, all of those things. So they are enemies to the word of God. But I just want to highlight that one of them is Satan himself. He was an enemy of the world right from the get-go when he visited Eve. And he's still active, working hard to hinder the word of God. And so we have to be aware that there are enemies to the word of God. And um, also, troubles of life sometimes, if we don't have our eyes in the right place, can become an enemy to the word of God, taking root. And he adds something else here. He says, um, the seed sown among thorns, 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 thorns exist. Is the person who hears the word, but worldly cares. Worldly cares. And the seductiveness of wealth choke, choke the word. So it produces what? Nothing. That's the way it's phrased. So we need to be aware that the everyday routine, going to work tomorrow, my difficult boss that I'm going to meet, I'm when I'm going to finish my, Scoopy would say, my thesis, you know, I'm going to get my food, I'm going to take my children to games, I'm going to take my son for a walk. All of those things 
you know, the cares of life have the, they have the, if we allow them, can choke the word of God. It's almost like we have to be consciously aware that we need to ponder on the word of God in the midst of all these thorns that are around. Of course, it's not very hard in the era of uh, phones that are computers. You know, as soon as you step out, you, you, know, you begin, you know, the news media and all of those things, the things on the internet and all those things, the potential to choke the word of God from our heart exists. So there are enemies and we need to be aware. And what we don't want to happen is that we hear the word of God, but it doesn't produce anything in our lives. And that's part of the concern because the older we get, the more familiar we are with the word of God. But my prayer is that the more our lives reflect the word of God, that the way more the word of God affects us. So we need to be aware that there are enemies to the word of God. Watch out for the enemies to the word of God. Enemies of obedience. The taste of the soil is the fruit that it brings forth. Satan himself, don't ignore him. He exists. It's not just fantasy. Persecutions or trouble can make us ignore the word of God. The daily grinds and daily routine of life can make us forget. And of course, the deceitfulness of riches can make us forget. Sometimes you wonder, I don't know whether you've ever sat down to think about it. Why is it that in our society people don't seem to care about the word of God? I don't mean you. I mean the society at large. Because they feel they are, you know, it's a waste of time and there's probably security in so many other things. I have this, I have that. They are deceived by whatever wealth, if you like, they have. So guide your heart, and to encourage you, there's a powerful ally, the Spirit of God, that brings the Word of God. So you are not alone, but just be aware that there are enemies. So what did Jesus say about the Word of God? Point number one, it's essential to life. Point number two, we have wise people and foolish people. The foolish person obeys the foolish person hears God's word and does nothing about it. The wise one hears and does something with it. So what is scary about that is that so many people hear the word of God and think because I heard, I'm wise. But Jesus says if you hear it and do nothing with it, you're what? Foolish. So, and the point number three is that there are enemies to the word of God. We need to be aware that there are enemies. So, may the Lord grant us the grace, you know, to lean on the spirit of God to help us so that the enemies do not overtake or choke the word of God out of our hearts. Point number four. The word of God 
is one of the few things that will last forever. I was, uh, you know, my, 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 my idea of wealth, you know, growing up was shaken when I realized that many things don't last forever. I mean, I grew up in a village, uh, relatively, not really rich, but I, I probably had a sense that I wasn't that poor compared to most other around me because, you know, being rich and poor is usually relative. You try to say, compared to the people around me, I'm rich. Compared to those above me, I'm poor. So, but I didn't have a sense. So, so my dad, you know, I remembered that there was not enough to build a house so that we could move in. So he had this house in which the foundation was laid and was supposed to be, you know, a few rooms, but he could only afford to finish one. And the other ones were standing, so the blocks were up, but they were not completed. So only one room was finished, and we moved in. And then my dad struggled over the years and then was able to complete that structure. And then went to the village and then built another simple structure for my grandmother. So in my mind, he owned two houses and also a pickup truck. But the day he died, I realized that this structure that he owned and this pickup truck that he owned he can't do anything with it. In fact, he doesn't know who is going to possess it, whether it's going to be a fool, like Solomon said, or a wise person. And it would be extremely foolish to think that this is very important. It was, in, I mean, in, in terms of the people around, this was very important. But I looked at it and said, hmm, it's not as important as we think it is. And that's why when David mentioned his neighbor this morning, I said it doesn't matter what he owned. It really doesn't matter. The words of Jesus Christ comes to light. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses soul? And so Jesus made this startling statement. He said, Heaven and earth will pass away. But my word shall never, never pass away. What that means is that we need to take God's word seriously. It doesn't matter if the whole world ridicules or makes fun of the word of God. And it doesn't matter what people think, what you or I think. What the Lord Jesus said about his word would stand. So God's word lasts forever. Whether we believe it or not, it doesn't matter. It has a lifetime warranty. It cannot fade or pass away. It will outlast heaven and earth. It would outlast all knowledge and wisdom, so-called. It would outlast all inventions or anything that we consider worthy or worthwhile. God's word would outlast them. 
So everything in heaven and earth, they will pass away. But Jesus says his words will never pass away. I think I have an idea as to why. I'd like to suggest why. I should have given you a passage where he said that. In fact, it was on his last sermon as he was on the Mount of Olivet preaching in Matthew 24, verse 35. He spoke that. And he said, my words will never pass away. So just in case you want the reference, that's where he spoke that. And um, his word is important and it allows every other thing. So why will his words not pass away or fade? Let me suggest to you at least two reasons. His word and himself are inseparable. So, the only way his words can cease is if he ceases to exist. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the same was with God in the beginning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Let me suggest another reason why his word will not pass away. His words will form the basis for eternal life and eternal death or judgment. His words will form the basis of eternal life or death or judgment if you like. In John chapter 5, verse 24, I read that before. It says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. I heard his word and I believe. That's the basis for eternal life. And... Um, John 12. John 12. Let's put on glasses so we can see. Verse 44. Jesus says this, but Jesus shouted out, The one who believes in me does not believe in me, but in the one who sent me. And the one who sees me, who sees, the one who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. Listen to this verse 47. If anyone hears my words and does not obey them, I do not judge him. For I have not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not accept my words has a judge. What is the judge? The word I have spoken will judge him at the last day. 
So his word will form the basis for reward, for eternal life, and for judgment. And so we need to take his word seriously. Ancient words ever true. Now, my prayer is that the Lord will grant us the grace to act on the word, read it, meditate on it, trust it, believe it, act on it. So, four points I made tonight. God's word is food, is essential to life. Obeying God's word is great wisdom. They are enemies of the world. We should watch out. In fact, as soon as we step out of here, they be active. And the words of the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. The words on CNN will not last forever. The words from Trump won't last forever, or from Trudeau, or from whoever you look up to. It will not last forever or from the best minds in the world, Albert Einstein, or the greatest philosophers. They are all going to be destroyed, but the words of the Lord Jesus Christ will last forever. So it's a good foundation to stand. That's it for a point. I didn't act as good as Warren, forgive me. He gave me some margins, remember, that I could take in for the evening. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help us, Lord, to live it, practice it, read it, understand it, and obey it. Like the songwriter says, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus. So help us to be good students of your word, but much more than that, good doers of your word. Give us a wonderful week. And give us victory in all our trials and circumstances. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.